0: It is very good to be here and to look together at God's word. Let's do that in Genesis chapter two. Genesis two, beginning at verse 18. This is the word of God. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, in introducing me, Bill said that I'm a teacher and I'm an Army Reserve chaplain. What he didn't tell you is that I teach junior high. And that probably says more about me than anything else. But, but I love it and I love those kids and it's a wonderful opportunity that God has given me to teach in a rural school district. We have 500 kids in our whole district, kindergarten through 12th grade. And as over the years as I've taught there, God has brought many things, many opportunities uh, that I have as a Christian teacher in a public school that I'm really grateful for. Now, just this past week, I was teaching, I can't remember, this is probably the history class I teach to the seventh graders. And I can't even remember the occasion now, but I said, you know, when I was your age, in junior high, none of my friend's parents were divorced. None of them. And I'm an old guy, but it wasn't that long ago. And the, the look on their faces was amazing because so many of those kids, if we go statistically, and I, from what I know of the population there, probably half of those kids either live just with their mom or live in a broken home of some kind or live with a stepfather or stepmother and have half sisters and brothers It is indeed a sign of the times that we live in now, this present dark age in which we find ourselves as believers in Christ. And then as an army chaplain uh, over the past year and a half, I got off active duty in August. My main job was to try to help families deal with all the trauma involved in having their soldier off to fight a war. So. I had many, many conversations with wives and a few husbands and often on the telephone. And one of the things that struck me about this whole experience was how fearful wives were that their husbands would be unfaithful to them. And and, and how that just undergirded all that they were going through. Uh, It was it was powerful. Uh, It was amazing to me that that's the way it was. Um, Now, sadly, if you look at statistics, Christian marriages, even among evangelical Christians like we are, Christian marriages statistically don't have much more of a success rate than those outside the church. Um, Marriage is is definitely on hard times in our day. Now, last week, we heard from first from Peter in first Peter four about how very, very important it is for us to think clearly about this present age. And surely marriage is one of those things that we as believers in Christ must be clear in our own minds so that we can pray for our marriages. And pray for our children, and so that our children will know what marriage is that God has given to us. What a wonderful thing it is, and how it is to be. So let's look together then at this passage in Genesis, because here in Genesis chapter 2 are the very foundation principles of what God has designed marriage for, and the way our marriages ought to be. Let's look first at verse 18. Notice there, that Moses, by the power of the Holy Spirit, tells us the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. In other words, by implication in this verse, marriage is good. Marriage is good, and it's not just in this verse. I mean, we can if you understand what I'm saying, that that it is not good for the man to be alone. Therefore, it is good for him to have a fit helper. Right there, we've got the goodness of marriage. But it's even more wonderful than that. It's even deeper than that. Because chapter 2 of Genesis is a reiteration or a retelling in more detail of what happened on the sixth day of creation as recorded in chapter 1. Look at verse twenty seven of chapter one, then. Verse twenty six, where God makes men and women. Then then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And then look. At verse 30 and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw everything. That he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the six days. The old commentators call marriage a creation ordinance, a creation ordinance. It's that which God intended for us, his people from the very beginning. It's before the fall into sin. It's very good what God has done. It is, in other words, out of God's heart that he has made us this way. It's out of God's heart and mind. And it reflects indeed, uh, again, what the old commentators call the happy society of the Trinity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit from all eternity. That relationship they have. Surely part of the image of God that, that God made into us his creation is this kind of a relationship that is good and right and what he intended for us. Marriage, then, is is not some kind of human plan that, that we can second guess or redefine. Or say something else about we're not free to second guess the goodness of God. From his very heart and mind and his love for us, his creation. Last summer, I had a soldier come to me in my office and he said, uh, and I, I have I knew him pretty well and I knew his girlfriend and I knew that they were cohabiting. And he comes to me really depressed and really discouraged. And he says, Chaplain, she moved out on me. She packed up everything and moved out and Or the pain in that soldier was really something to see. And as we sat down and as we talked about this relationship that he'd had with her, he said, you know, chaplain, I read somewhere that, that marriages fail in, in the first two years. I, think I read somewhere that if you can get past the first couple of years, then, then your marriage will be fine. And I and he said, so I figured that we'd been living together for two years. We were okay. You see, we're not free to second guess the goodness of God. That's not that cohabitation is not what God had for those two people. And now the pain of it was coming home to them, even as the and of course, there's pain in marriage, too. So we must hang on to that notion as we struggle through, as marriages grow and change, and as the people discover all the wonderful things that God has in the midst of a sinful generation, that marriage is good. We hold on to that in marriage. We lean on that. And as we pray for our marriages in this, our congregation, that God has called us together, we must pray that that, that couples will see and grab hold of the goodness of the very heart of God. For their particular marriage and all that he wants it to be. So, marriage is good. It's that which God has given. Second, marriage fits us, it fits who we are, how God has made us. Look at verse 19. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Notice at the beginning of verse 19, it's out of the ground that God formed every living creature. Out of the ground, even as he had formed the man out of the ground. Now, this this parade, we're tempted to say as as it's almost like, well, God is trying to decide amongst all these animals. Is there is there one of them here that that's suitable for this this man that I have created? And of course, God being the creator of everything there is, that's that's kind of a goofy thought that we get into sometimes, I think, as we read the Bible. So we have to pull ourselves short and say, now, wait a minute, God knows what he's doing and he, he knew what he was doing from the beginning of the creation. So it's obvious then that this parade of these animals is for Adam's sake and for our sake, that he might truly see and understand two things. First, these who were created out of the dust of the earth are not fit for him, are not suitable as a helper for him. And secondly, he is to see and understand that this woman who is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, as he says, is indeed suitable and right and proper and good for him. That that she is created in his image, too. That she is created not from the dust, but from his rib close to his heart, by his side, right there with him before God equal in in, in image and in being and in who she is. Before God. In all of these wonderful ways. She is fit for Him. She is unique among all the creation. Like He is unique among all the creation. In that they were both created for this relationship to the living God. And, this, and created for this relationship to one another. For the love and for the delight For the delight in children that God brings into marriages that they might share together as parents in God's image. In other words, the God made us for marriage. That's the what he built into us. And in fact, we as the church have always said that singleness is a special gift. What usually happens is marriage, because that's the way God put us together. And so that singleness needs special grace from God and special purpose and special reason that he calls people to singleness. God made single people, too, and he provides obviously for them in his grace. These longings, then these longings for for a, a husband or longings for a wife are the way God put us together. And we hold on to that and are glad in it and are not ashamed of that and know that and that that that's the way God created us for this closeness and this intimacy, this belonging to one another. That's who we are. That's how he put us together. You notice in in, in Revelation, clear on the other end of the Bible, and it's true all the way through the Scripture, The church is the bride of Christ, the Lord. That's who we are. God uses all the way through the Scripture, this picture of marriage that we see so clearly drawn for us here in Genesis 2 is the way it ought to be. That kind of relationship with the living God. Marriage reflects that. And those longings that we all long for, for, whether we're single or married, are the longings that we also have for the living God because He's made us to be related to Him in that way. It's no mistake, as no, nothing in Scripture is a mistake. That it's the wedding feast of the Lamb that we look forward to. That's where we're headed. That great time. The wedding feast of the Lamb. That's the way God puts us together. This side of the kingdom, marriage reflects that as it, as it grows and is perfected in our Savior. And it shows us what it, something of what it will be like when we're finally with the Lord. So marriage, then, is what we are made for. Marriage is God's goodness shown to us. But marriage is also God's work in us. Look at verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Keep your finger there and look over at Matthew chapter 19. Here the Lord, God, the Lord Jesus is challenged about marriage and divorce by his enemies. And he answers him in verse 3 of chapter 19. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. It's this work of God in these two people that's going on in marriage. As our Savior comments on Genesis 2, he emphasizes that. That this one flesh thing that is so mysterious and goes so, and it includes the sexual relationship between husband and wife, certainly, but it's far more and far deeper than that. And, the, and Jesus says, hey, listen, it's a it's work of God, this one flesh, a very mysterious thing, a wonderful thing. Um, we can't reduce marriage to just a, a loving and committed relationship as so many in the political and, and uh, popular culture arena would have it. No, this, this is a work of God. This is far more than, than that. This marriage is beyond us in that sense. This becoming one flesh. Paul refers to it in, in 1 Corinthians 6 when he, when he talks about the mystery of it. It's this notion that God is doing something here. And notice the application of this teaching in Genesis two. Therefore, since this is what's going on, since God is working to make this couple one flesh, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and the two shall become one flesh. That leaving is so very important. That leaving and whole fa- holding fast, holding on to the other person speaks of the exclusivity of marriage, that that which God is working is for these two especially and for no one else. Now, there's an old saying and when, when people are trying to comfort the, uh, the parents of the bride or the groom on that wedding day. And, and you know the old phrase, well, you're, you're not really losing a daughter, you're, you're gaining a son, or you're really not losing a son, you're gaining a daughter. You know, and and that, that loss of son and daughter is pretty profound for that parent, but, but that's not right. <laughs> yeah, sure, there's an element of that. I mean, the family does indeed get larger, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing. But when someone marries, the daughter really is lost, and the son really is lost. I mean, it's not the same anymore. The, sure, the, the, there's still that wonderful relationship of father-son or father-daughter, mother-son-daughter, all the permutations and combinations. And sure, that's there. And, and it will never leave. But there's something new going on. And parents have to really guard against trying to get into the middle of that. Because God's doing something there. God is at work in making that couple one flesh. And that's where their priorities are now. That's the primary relationship in their life. We have a, an army training film talking about reunion. Getting back together after the soldiers have been gone for six months or a year or however long it is. And in all the struggles of getting back together and how difficult that is because life has gone on. And one of the lines in it is so great because it is revealing the thoughts of the soldiers. He gets off the airplane and he sees the crowd of people waiting for him. And he says, there's Angie and there's my mom. Who do I hug first? <laughs> Better hug Angie first, I tell you. But that does say it doesn't that that says what it is about And this exclusivity of this one flesh relationship is what the seventh commandment is all about, too. It's about that notion that unfaithfulness in marriage is a terrible thing because it destroys that bond. And so that's why it's so important that as God does that work, the couple hang on to that. Hang on to that sexual faithfulness. Hang on to that faithfulness to one another. And it's what the Tenth Commandment's about, too. When it says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or we may, might add, covet your neighbor's husband. Because again, that work that God is doing is just with those two. You know, there's a. have read some marriage therapist stuff in connection with the army, too. And they use the phrase... Alternative monitoring, but it does say something. Okay, marriages aren't right. They say when the husband is constantly saying, "You know, she would be a better wife," or he's saying, "Well, I don't know, man. That she might be a better husband. She might be a a better." I mixed it up. Got the point? To check out the other people and kind of play with that idea that someone might be better than the one God has given me. And both the seventh commandment and the Lord's teaching about lust in our hearts and the tenth commandment and the Lord's teaching about coveting something else and not being glad in that which God has given me. Destroys that oneness. And in that you see the evil of Pornography. And how that destroys it in that you see the evil of things like some of these romance novels or some of the kinds of daydreaming that that women as well as men get into. That's destructive of that which God is doing and building and working in. You know, God has something much more wonderful than our feeble, sinful minds would concoct. And we mustn't second guess God in this area either. A husband and a wife become one flesh because the Holy Spirit is working in them and they're relying on the Holy Spirit and they're relying on God to make their marriage all that he would have it be. Which brings us to one more thing that God would show us in these foundational ideas about marriage. Look at verse 25. Yeah, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. How, how can that be? No shame. Well, there was no guilt. This is before the fall. In other words, in their relationship, all of their needs were being met mutually in one another. Their priorities were the same. They were there to work and do the work God had given them to glorify and honor Him. No conflicting needs, no conflicting priorities. Which is, of course, different from it is from the way it is now. Because, of course, now it's it's two centers getting married. It's two centers who bring their own selfish purposes and their own selfish ends to this that God would have them be. I was talking to a woman. Uh, a year or so ago on the phone. And she said, kept saying to me, chaplain, I want my husband home. And I kept saying to her, I can't help you there. I can't do that for you. We can't get him home. He's doing a good and a, and a right thing. And I kept trying to encourage her and I kept trying to help her see all the resources she had to live with her toddler without her husband made sure her finances were all in the right way and make sure everything. And I kept trying to show her all these things as I talked to her. And she just kept becoming more and more impatient with me. And finally, she just cries out. It's all about me. It's all about me. And I almost said, well, ma'am, I could have told you that 20 minutes ago. But really, when we come to marriage as two sinners, that's so often in our day and age is the attitude, is the approach to marriage is what can I get out of it that will satisfy me? Instead of going into it with this basic, these basic ideas of what God has made us for and how he would, how he's put us together and how we are to serve him by serving one another in that marriage. That teen concept, if you will, that together glorifying God and delighting in one another, that he might have all the honor in what we do together and what we do together. It's not a, it's not a kind of a one flesh blob idea. It's two different people always in a marriage, but it's two people serving the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, here's where the cross comes in. Here's where it's so vital. The two Christians marry, not one Christian and one unbeliever. Because two sinners are coming into the marriage and, and they are forgiven, they must be forgiven sinners who have the Holy Spirit indwelling them as they seek his help and his strength to make this marriage all that it is intended to be. To honor God in that delight, in that joy originally intended for His us, His creation. Whom he has made in his image. Well, what's missing from these foundational principles? We've got the the whole notion that this is a plan from God. It's, It's from his heart and mind. He has made us for it. He makes a man and a woman one flesh by his power. He does that work in them. And that by his grace poured out, he makes Christian marriages what they need to be and what they ought to be. And the vital necessity of that grace for two sinners in his sight. Well, what's missing here is the Song of Solomon. Okay? It's that idea of romantic love that wonderfully overflows in the Song of Solomon. But you see, the Song of Solomon comes after Genesis 2. It that notion of the delight of romantic love and and those feelings that we so value and treasure are are supported by this foundation. And of course, what our culture does is get it absolutely wrong the other way. What our culture does is talk about people falling in and out of love, which is just silly. It's nonsense. Okay? And it talks and, and it makes... Romantic love, erotic love, the foundation of the relationship rather than the relationship carrying and cradling and nurturing the romantic love. Boy, do we have to think clearly, don't we, as believers in Christ, about what marriage is and what it should be? Because our world gets it exactly wrong. Our God has given us a wonderful thing in Genesis 2 and throughout the Bible. Now we know how to pray. Now we're reminded what marriage is. We must keep returning to this because our world will keep assaulting us with these wrong ideas. If you're single, pray for the marriages, pray for God's work in your life that you might know and and see what he has for you in this life. If you're married, pray for not just your marriage, but for the other ones. As the body of Christ, this is what we hold up amongst one another. This is the ideal that God has for us. May he, by his spirit. Sustain our marriages and nurture our marriages and give them. All that he has for them, which comes straight from his heart. Let us pray. Our father, we thank you for these comforting words of scripture. We thank you that our marriages can be a wonderful thing by your power and help. Please help them to be that. But we thank you most of all that we can delight in you who came for us and died that we might know our forgiveness, forgiveness of sins in you in Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. The response to the benediction this morning is praise be to God, praise be to God for this gift that he gives his people. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all and all God's people said, praise be to God. Amen.